Welcome to Amplify, the personal brand business show. Today on the show, Bob is speaking with Philip Van Dusen. You can watch tennis on TV. You can buy the best tennis racket. You can buy the coolest tennis clothes. You can, you know, read tennis books. But until you get out on a tennis court and start hitting balls over the backstop and over the fence by accident, you can't learn how to play tennis. You've got to get out there and you've got to suck a little bit for a while before you start getting better. And it's just the same thing. You can watch as many YouTube videos. You can read up on how to do video. You can, you know, but until you start doing it, you can't get better. Hi there, and welcome back to the Personal Brand Business Show. My name is Bob Gentle, and every week I'm joined by incredible people who share their secrets to building, marketing, and monetizing their expertise, building a unique personal brand, and the mindset you need for your business to grow and thrive. If you're new to the show, then while you still have your device in your hand, take a moment to subscribe. It's the very best way to help me reach new people and we'll make sure you don't miss a single thing. So this week, I am joined by Philip Van Dusen. I am very excited because I know a lot of graphic designers and they get very excited when they find out that I know Philip, which often makes me look super cool. So Philip Van Dusen, welcome to the show. Thank you for making me look so cool. Thanks, Bob. I speak to a lot of people and none of them, bizarrely, make me look as cool as you do. So thank you for coming on the show again for the second time. Absolutely, Bob. Thanks for having me on again. Or is it the third time? I think it's the second. Okay. Well, it is lovely to see you. Looking super cool with a purple background. One of the few guests I've met in person more than once. So always exciting to speak to you. One of my role models, it has to be said. But for the listener who's meeting you for the first time, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are, where you are, the kind of work you do, and then we can get into the dirt? Sure. So I, you know, I had a long, successful career, 25 plus years in both the corporate side as well as the branding agency side as a creative leader. So I started off as a graphic designer, worked my way up to being an ECD and eventually a VP of design at a couple fairly well-known corporations. And then I hit a wall kind of very late in my career and decided I wanted to go off on my own. And I realized very quickly when I did that, that I had been building brands for other people for 30 years and I had never really built my own. So I kind of had to start from scratch. And so I took my expertise in branding, brand strategy, design, creative entrepreneurship, and decided to to leverage that to build my branding consultancy and also to share everything that I've learned in 30 plus years with with businesses, entrepreneurs and creative professionals so they can not make all the mistakes that I made and so they can, you know, improve in their careers and businesses faster than I did essentially. So I had a look. So what you didn't talk about was YouTube specifically. And for the listener, you have over a quarter of a million YouTube subscribers. I've got 500, but so, yeah, the, <laughs> I'm always in awe of people who have sustained YouTube for the time mm. that you have. I went back to look at your very first videos. Oh my gosh. Okay. And I think that's such a worthwhile thing to do because your videos are really slick and polished now. 
Yeah. And one of the things we hear all the time is that you should never judge somebody else's today by, I can't remember, you know what, probably know what the saying is. I can't remember exactly what it is, but. I, I can't either, um, but I get you. It's, you should never compare yourself to another creator, but it's really interesting to go back and look at the journey. I think anybody that's looking to set out on a YouTube journey today shouldn't be comparing themselves to what you're doing now, but they should perhaps have a look at where it began because that's Absolutely. maybe a healthy thing to compare with. And that's what I did actually when I started YouTube. And what I didn't mention at the beginning was I basically built my business and my agency on content marketing. So I started a newsletter. I did that for six months. And then I started a YouTube channel about a year, two years later, I started a podcast. Then eventually I started a free Facebook group. I ran, uh, you know, developed a, a course, ran some mastermind communities. I'm building a new mastermind community. So it's all been based around content. But one of the things when I first started YouTube that I did, I was watching a guy who's a, who's a friend now, Roberto Blake, who's a YouTube legend. And he's got, I don't know, 4,000 videos on YouTube now. And he's a really great a fun guy. But one of the things that he said, you know, seven years ago when I was thinking of starting my channel was he said, you know, you got to do 50 bad videos. He goes, your first video is going to suck. Your 10th one's going to suck, but you're going to learn and you're going to grow and you're going to get better. And he said, go back and look at my first videos. And, you know, at this point, he was probably a thousand videos in. And I took him up on that. I went back and I looked at some of like his earliest, earliest videos and they were horrible. He was like sitting on a futon in a really kind of crummy New York apartment with super bad lighting. And he was kind of just like rambling on and, you know, pontificating about stuff and getting lost and then coming back to his points. I mean, they were really, really something. (laughs) And I encourage the listeners here, if you want to see somebody who like, powered through the first 50 bad videos, Roberto Blake's earliest videos are just like, they're worse than mine. I'll put it that way. And anyway, but so I watched them and then I watched what he was doing now, then, you know, later a thousand videos in. And I was like, if he can do that and leave those videos up, then I can. And so that's what I decided to do. I think the biggest struggle for me though, Bob, was that I, you know, I was a mature guy. I'd had a 30 year career. I had a lot of very senior level network connections in industry and agencies. And I felt like I was under a microscope. I thought everyone was going to judge me, you know, for being an idiot, essentially. And I thought everyone was going to be watching. But the fact was, is that no one was watching. And, and that's the beauty of it at the beginning. No one is watching you when you're doing content or videos or podcasts. And so you can get out there, you can make mistakes and no one's really ever going to see it. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. And one of the, one of the pieces of freedom I think that people should embrace and feel when they're starting to do content is that, you know, you're, you're initially talking to an empty room. I think that was for me really liberating when I finally realized that because I think with things like Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, we have legacy audience, if you like. When we're deciding to make a big change, like I'm going to I'm going to go from doing things the way that everybody's always done them, with going to networking events and depending on my my network and maybe 
doing a little bit of social media to try and stir up business to deciding, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to content, bet on myself, be consistently visible. For most people, I would say 95% of people, that is so intimidating. If you consider that you're going to do it to your existing network, because they're not used to that version of you. It's just, it's alien. But when you realize that you can post a video on YouTube, you don't have to share it with a single person. YouTube is going to go and find who's into you. And suddenly you've realized, I don't, I don't have to post this on Facebook. I don't have to post this on LinkedIn. And the only people who are going to get shown this video are the people who the algorithm has decided are probably going to like it. Actually, that is very freeing. And I think that's an important thing for people to recognize is you don't have to, I always, I mean, I'm, I'm a nineties kid and I was very familiar with Madonna would have a new version of Madonna every six months or a year. And I thought, I love the way she does that. And anybody can do this. And maybe if you're not our age, you won't remember Madonna changing the way music worked every couple of years. But um, yeah, I'm rambling a little bit. But I think as well, you can't look at your video now. I think that's going to be the benchmark for me. Like you said, you have to pass through the gate of being garbage at something before you're allowed to be good at it. Nobody can be born good at video. Roberto yeah. is a brilliant There's example. A, oh, he is. There's this analogy I always make, Bob, which I think is helpful to people. And that's like, if you want to learn how to play tennis, you can't, you can watch all the tennis videos you can you can watch tennis on tv you can buy the best tennis racket you can buy the coolest tennis clothes you can you know read tennis books but until you get out on a tennis court and start hitting balls over the backstop and over the fence by accident you can't learn how to play tennis you've got to get out there and you've got to suck a little bit for a while before you start getting better and it's just the same thing. You can watch as many YouTube videos. You can read up on how to do video. You can, you know, but until you start doing it, you can't, you can't get better. What you've just said to me, you said the last time we spoke on the podcast, and I have repeated that probably 30 times to clients on podcast myself. I want people to go back and listen to it. I'm probably going to use this as the main clip when I promote this podcast. Because it's so fundamentally important and it's something so many people try and skip. And I think it's also the reason most people don't take the chance. It's because they walk or they want to walk on the court and not make a fool of themselves. It will never work. You have to make a fool of yourself. You have to humble yourself in order to be good because that's the price. And it's a price worth paying. I think what's probably a good place where we're going to go in a minute is we're going to talk about the payoff, but I want to focus a little bit on as a creative, you have a strong aesthetic sense and a lot of people with a strong aesthetic sense suffer from perfectionism. Mm -hmm. That's the real problem. You mentioned not wanting to look like a fool. How did you move past perfectionism? And, or what advice would you have for anybody that is looking at perfectionism as the main barrier? Yeah, that that's a tough one. 
I think because a lot of creatives are that way. A lot of creatives are very, very critical of themselves. And that's it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, being critical of yourself is important because it's going to continually challenge you to experiment, to try new things, to be better, to um, you know, seek additional inspiration and motivation. But then on the other hand, you know, perfectionism can be crippling if you are so self-critical that you that it keeps you from doing things. And I think that's also one of the things that keeps people from doing podcasts and video a lot is that they are they they it's like the first time you ever heard your voice recorded. You know, the only time you hear your voice is from resonating inside your brain cavity. And so when you hear a recording of it outside of yourself, it doesn't sound like you. It doesn't sound like the you that you know. And people are generally horrified by the sound of their voices when they hear it recorded. And if you take that and then you multiply times 10, that's what happens when people see themselves on video speaking into a camera and hearing themselves as well. One of the reasons why is because video deadens you. You know, they say that video adds or adds 10 pounds and like it, it does all sorts of things to your perception of yourself. And one of the things that I realized very quickly when I was doing videos, and now I'm completely horrified when I look back on my first 200 videos, is how how lifeless I come off. And so to a certain extent, you have to amp up your personality and your and your energy in order to come across as what you even perceive yourself as being normal. And that's, to a certain extent, you're, you're learning how to, I hate to say it, but you're learning how to act. And that is one of those things when you start doing media, you have to, you have to come to terms with. And I know I'm completely veering off the topic of perfectionism, but it's just like tennis. You have to accept the fact that you're going to be hitting that ball over the backstop into the net for a while before you actually start returning someone's serve. And it's the same thing with anything. It's the same thing with playing guitar. It's the same thing with singing. It's the same thing with doing graphic design work. You have to pay your dues and you can't pay them until you start. Until you start. I'm doing a live stream tomorrow on finding your creative voice. And one of the things that I kind of, I, you know, I kind of developed a, a saying for it, which is that you can't imagine your way into a personal aesthetic. You have to work your way there. And that's really what it comes down to. You got to put pen to paper, mouse to tablet, and, and start cranking stuff out in order to find your way. Yeah. I think as I'm listening to you there, something that I became very aware of was the whole perfectionism element. I think the more you create content, the more the world reacts to that content, the more they reflect back to you what they value about you. And I think a lot of people that are uncomfortable with personal visibility in particular mm-hmm. is because they're actually uncomfortable with their identity. And what I found is the more I've created content, the more I've come to accept who I am, how I come across. I am easier with my own identity. And I no longer feel like I need to pretend to be any particular version of me, I can relax into being myself because I've grown accustomed to and kind of like myself. And it's only when you get that mirror effect from other people, as somebody who's very self-conscious, that you really start to like what you see. 
because most people mm. don't. It's quite, like you mentioned, it's very alien to see yourself from the outside. Another thing that I, I, I think I'll mention is that when you're first starting off too, and I felt this, oh my God, I felt this when I posted my first blog post, my first article. I thought everyone's going to read it. Everyone's going to criticize me. I'm going to come off like an idiot. And I was posting an article on, I don't remember what the topic was, pers- you know, branding or design or strategy or something like that on, on Blogger, which was, I think, Google's old blogging platform. And I labored over that. I spent days writing it and tweaking it and wordsmithing it. And I posted it. No one read it. And then I posted another one. And then I posted another one. And the thing about doing content is the first one that you do, it's the only representation of you. And so you sweat it out. But the more you write or the more you post videos or do podcasts, the less important each individual piece of content becomes. So the more you put out, the less important each one is. So it's okay if you do a sucky one or you do a fantastic one or whatever. It's going to ebb and flow. But at the very beginning, when you only have one piece of content out or four pieces of content out, they're all super important to you. That's why you got to like hit it with volume. <laughs> That's what I say. Just like bang them out. Yeah. I think something that I often experience with clients is if they haven't been active on social media very much, there's this urge to do an introduction post. I need to tell everybody about everything that I do. And what you described there is really the antidote to this. It's thinking about that each post or each piece of content is a stitch in the tapestry. And it's the tapestry that tells the story, not mm-hmm. the stitches. I, myself, when I came, when I began with content marketing, that was my story rather than podcast interviews. I've, I've agonized over every piece of content thinking it needed to be, needed to be the universal unified theory of everything according to Bob <laughs> in one post. It's never going to happen. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. So, from a content marketing perspective, you mentioned that that became the engine in your business. As a graphic mm-hmm. designer, mm-hmm. most graphic designers, they win their business through networking, going to events, being really good with portfolio, search engine optimization. You do YouTube. Most people look at that and they think, how is that possible? That's ridiculous. How did that evolve? Because that won't have happened overnight. Yeah, I. it didn't happen overnight. But I would say that at the very beginning, I made a commitment. Uh, I made a personal contract that because it's very easy to quit content and content marketing is a, is a long game, as you know. And so you have to make a commitment at the beginning to do it for a period of time. So when I started, I started my newsletter first and I said, I'm going to put out a newsletter every two weeks and I'm going to do it for a year. And then I will reevaluate after that. After about six months, I decided to start a YouTube channel too. And I said to myself, I'm going to post a video a week for a year before I can even evaluate what I'm doing. And I'm just going to share absolutely everything I know on branding, design, and marketing to entrepreneurs and to creative professionals and to help them with their businesses. And that's what I did. And I wasn't really sure exactly where it was going to get me, to be honest with you. Um, but within a year, about a year and a half, 80% of my clients to my branding agency were coming to me directly through YouTube. And one of the reasons why I think YouTube in particular is so powerful, and this is you know not a like, super secret, is that Google owns it. And YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world. 
And Google, of course, is the first. But the other thing about it is that when you search things on Google, it serves up YouTube videos at, at the same time that it up, serves up regular search results. And so if you're on YouTube, it'll actually help your SEO of your 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 regular website or your portfolio or your visibility in search um, by you know by a huge amount. So it's kind of a double whammy of, in terms of of the power of what it does for your visibility and the and your the chances of people becoming aware of your brand. So something that I'm wondering because it's something that I kind of struggle with a little bit. Struggles maybe not the, the, the wrong word. I'm, I'm occupied with this. Is the challenge of feeling like you're being repetitive. Mm. Now, you're f- nearly 500 videos in. Mm-hmm. How are you approaching the ideation for the kind of videos that you're going to make? Because by the time you're 500 in, you've kind of covered the foundations probably several times over. Mm-hmm. So how do you, what, what's your philosophy on repetition and how do you continue to, to come up with ideas that you feel aren't trivial? Yeah. Well, one of the, th- one of the good things is that culture doesn't stand still. Marketing doesn't stand still. Business doesn't stand still. And in the digital, you know, a- a ecosystem of, of, of business in the world, things are constantly changing. <clears throat> and so as a marketing or a branding person, there's always something new to talk about. Also, over time, my own approach and my own point of view, my own you know passions and interests and, and successes with clients and in my own passion and focus evolves as well. So while I do have, I have about six to eight kind of key themes that I do content around. And when I come up with a content idea, it, I usually, I make sure that it is fitting into those, one of those themes. And that's, that's a strategic choice that I make in order to be sure that people know what to come to me for essentially. But within those themes, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of topics and when you start to focus your all of your energy and attention around those sorts of themes and those sorts of topics and start producing a ton of content around it you start to your antenna is up for that sort of thing at all times so as i go about my day and my business on the internet and in real life and in conferences etc my antenna are always up for like what's happening what's changing what am I inspired by? What am I curious about? Like, what am I experimenting with? What am I seeing people try that's working? What am I seeing people try that's failing? And so there's a level of newness and trend and an evolution that goes into what I focus my content on. And then that's always anchored in how does that relate to the things that never change, the foundations of branding, the foundations of strategy and marketing that are, that are immutable and are written in stone. How do all of those new trend changes, cultural changes layer on top of or relate to these immutable truths about branding, marketing, and design? And I think it's that it's that Venn diagram of those two things, which is 
is is constantly changing and there's oh there's always something new to talk about there's always something new to share and the other thing is that not everybody sees every piece of your content and that's one of the most important things i mean let's talking about a roberto blake right roberto blake did things about design and branding for a long long time and then he kind of fell into and began to focus his entire content stream on YouTube, on YouTube topics. He's done, I want to say, a hundred videos on how to get 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, how to get your first 50,000 subscribers on YouTube, how to get your first 17,000 subscribers. I mean, the same video, right? And a lot of that is because how you do it changes. Also, who he's talking to kind of changes and you never know or how people are going to find or what video they're going to fall into and what YouTube is going to serve up to you in their, with their search algorithm. So having a bit of repetition can also be super helpful. The other thing is that the more videos you have about a particular topic, the more YouTube's algorithm considers you an expert and very focused in that niche. So it will serve you up in search so people can discover you more because of that fact. So one of the things that I know you spend a lot of time thinking about, you work with a lot of creatives, a lot of designers, a lot of people who are quite senior in that industry. And I know that one of the things that you work with in that, with that group is personal branding. Mm -hmm. So you are a smart guy when it comes to personal branding. And I'm always looking for smart people to learn from, learn from. And I'm curious to know, how do you introduce that conversation and how do you invite people to assess and become intentional about their personal brand? Because a lot of people have come to their personal brand by accident. I think a lot of people think about a personal brand as some kind of magical thing. The truth is everybody has a personal brand. It's simply what other people think of you. Becoming intentional about your personal brand is really what we're talking about. So how do you work with people who have a very strong aesthetic sense towards becoming intentional about their personal brand? Well, I'd love to, I have a question about your question, which is you wove in the aesthetic aspect of it at the very end of that. And I'm curious as to what, why is that because we're talking to designers and it's how does the design aspect of it fit into their personal brand? I guess it's, so I I think there is a, this is where I, I, I border on the metaphysics, but I have experienced that I feel there must be some, some kind of aesthetic sense. And some people have it and some people don't. Those people who don't have it, they don't worry about certain things like how they look, like how they come across. They're almost numb to it. But then there are others that are at the other end of the spectrum and they're hypersensitive to how they look and how they come across very almost self-conscious on the one end of the spectrum. And then there's all kinds of things in between. Designers typically have this very well-refined aesthetic sense. They can tell when something looks good and when it doesn't look good. And therefore, they tend to be much more intentional about how they come across, what mm -hmm. they wear, how their space looks. These things matter to them. So it plays in. It's not central, but I mention it because I think it's a thing. Yeah. And I think that that's where creatives, creative professionals, and I'm always telling them this, is that this is where they have a leg up. This is where they have 
a power play in regards to personal branding because they not only do they have they pay attention to that stuff but the, and they have a good aesthetic but they can't they are aware of the power of visual branding within building a personal brand and so they have a firm understanding of that and what i need what i do is i draw their attention to the fact that they really have to leverage that strength in everything that they do. And when you're developing a personal brand, one of the things you have to realize is the first thing you have to focus on is visibility, like how and where am I showing up and how often am I showing up? And in today's world, you need anywhere from eight to 15 brand impressions, people coming across your stuff before they even recognize that it's you, or they even pay attention to, to the fact that it's you. And every one of those brand impressions one of the ways that you you signal that it's the same person is you do it with visual branding, you do it with color, you do it with tone of voice, you do it with imagery, you do it with logo, all of those things that that uh, visual creatives are powerful at developing. And that gives people a leg up because then when you are posting content or you're showing up on social media, you're doing so in a way that every time you show up, you're showing up with the same colors, the same fonts, the same imagery, the same tone of voice. And so people will be able to recognize you and become aware of you much faster than if you were showing up very inconsistently or you know, in a kind of haphazard way when it comes to what your content is and looks like. So that's where I think I, I counsel and coach creatives on starting where their strength is and, and leveraging that because that's a level of comfort that they have. And then it starts to like, how do you spread your wings? How do you start going into content? How do you start developing thought pieces and and visually and magnetic content that's going to be of value to other people. And so it's kind of a it's kind of a process. It's a it's a bit of, you know, kind of baby steps. I think one of the things that I often find and the designers that I observe are generally very similar is that most people when they come to content marketing will default to the low hanging fruit, to the obvious. So if it's an accountant, they'll talk about money. If it's a lawyer, they'll talk about court cases. If it's a designer, they'll talk about their work. If they dare to show their work, a lot of the time they won't. But people tend to default to the obvious. The really strong online personal brands, they're, they're richer. They have more depth. You're somebody I can get to know. But a lot of the time people don't really understand what's relevant and what's not. So how do you work with people to help them deepen that, deepen what they share, but in a more, in a, in a way that's structured because most people won't, if you see what I mean. Yeah. I, and again, it's, I think that there's pillars to content, meaning that you have to share content that, that, that operates on different levels. For instance, you have to share about you know, giving people visibility to what your core competency is. So if in the case of designers, sharing design work, you also have to share in a way that people can, they're seeing something that's going to help them with a problem. So you have to share some content that outlines a problem and 
defines a solution in a way that someone can identify with the problem and therefore want to read about the solution and then ipso facto understand that you are an expert and someone who might be able to help them. So there's kind of the problem solution content pillar. And then the other the other pillar, which is what makes the most people uncomfortable and me included, to be honest with you, because this is the one type of content that I struggle with the most, which is the super transparent personal content, which is showing people the behind the scenes, the frailty, the authenticity, the vulnerability, the what the man behind the curtain. And that's where people can, that's the pillar of content where people can really identify with you as a human being. Because one of the things I say all the time is that people don't want to do business with brands. They want to do business with people. And so you have to put yourself out there as a person and not only, you know, share your, your expertise, your ability to help people with their problems and the value you bring to the table, but also illustrating who you are as a human. All of those three pieces combine to what the, the super, super power of content marketing. One of the things that I'll just harken back to when my first clients started to come to me from YouTube, when I would have that for Zoom with them, they would always say to me, they say, I feel like I already know you. And that is the beauty of content marketing because when a client or a prospect comes to you and they feel like they already know you, half of your work is already done. You don't have to build trust. You don't have to build credibility. You don't have to, you know, kind of showcase your personality. They already know all of that. It's your fault to drill. Yeah. Now it comes down to scope and price. That's basically it. And that's the beautiful part about it. So showcasing your expertise, showing that you can solve a problem and you understand someone's problem. And then showing a bit of your personality so people can get to know you. Those are kind of the three gold standards of content marketing. And you kind of have to hit all three. So I'm, I have a designer, a very experienced designer in front of me. So I'd be stupid if I didn't ask this question. As somebody with a very finely tuned aesthetic sense who spends a lot of time online, consumes an awful lot of content, there must be a few things that you could identify and think, you know what, if people just did these few things everything they, they, they created would be elevated. So what are a few things that all of us could do within our content visually to just lift it a little? Yeah. One is to develop templates. So Canva has templates, but one of the cool, and you know, if you're not a designer, this is the time to be alive because Canva and a lot of the AI driven um, platforms, Adobe Express, et cetera, they offer templates. But one of the things that you need to do is you need to personalize and brand those templates. So one of the great things about Canva is that you can upload your logo, a color palette, you can make font choices, you can choose particular, you know, sorts of either patterns or colors, or textures. And to use those super consistently across all of your visual content, your thumbnails, your, your, your imagery, establish a, a tone of voice for your brand, maybe even a tagline or a catchphrase that you hammer people over the head with. Those are the sorts of things that are critical for any digital entrepreneur to leverage because the very first thing there's, there's certain things that humans register and when it comes to our senses, number one, 
the most indelible human memory for sense is smell. And that's hard to get across in the internet. So what's the second one? The second one is color. And so if you give people a heavy hit of color every time you do something online, then people will start to recognize you more quickly. So paying attention to your visual branding and incorporating it into everything that you do is step number one in kind of cutting to the front of the line in terms of brand visibility and awareness. I do try. I think my color palette has been all over the place recently, but I think I'm going to have to rein myself in. That's a really, really good idea. I think Canva is awesome. I think the problem a lot of people have with it is it's so flexible. And I think what you identify there with using the templates, but making them your own and then attempting to remain consistent, not being just because you can be creative doesn't mean you should be creative. Just because you can try everything doesn't mean you necessarily should, but you should make a few your own. That's a really, really powerful thing. I think I, I would like to leave it there today. I think I would like to have you back again soon because I've enjoyed this a lot. And I think we're just now potentially starting to get into the good stuff. It's a terrible place to stop, but we're going to have to. <laughs> If somebody's listening and think, you know what, I want to go a little bit further with Philip, how can they do that? How can they connect with you? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd like to offer the listeners a free tool. And so if you are building a personal brand, personal branding, as you can tell by this conversation, Bob, and it's been a great conversation. Thank you for having me on again, is, is that it can be complex. There are a lot of moving parts in it. From you know developing your purpose and your story to your digital footprint to how you're engaging with people, how you're showing up, how you're how and where you're finding clients, and so I developed a a tool. It's a proprietary tool that I created called the Personal Brand Wheel, and it's essentially a evaluation tool that help you, helps you kind of map out what you're doing in building your personal brand and how much work you've done or need to do on your personal brand. And it does it in a very kind of simple, holistic way that's very visual. And so if you go to philipvandusen.com slash PBW, the letters personal for personal brand wheel, you'll be able to download this PDF, which has got instructions on it and how to use it. And it'll be really, really helpful to help you kind of map out where you are with your personal brand. And while you're there on philipvandusen.com, absolutely everything that I do from video to my mastermind group bonfire to links to my Facebook group, et cetera, are all there. So if you want to engage with me as well as a contact form, if you're interested in coaching or consulting, you can connect with me there. Philip showed me the wheel just before we started recording and it looks so good. I'm going to go and get it after the call. Philip, you have been great fun to speak to as always thank you so much for your time thank you so much for your open sharing i'm very grateful thanks bob i appreciate your having me on the show so for you at home that does bring us to the end of another show thanks for listening and if you did enjoy this show then i would invite you to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and that's five don't get that wrong and if you are still listening on your mobile don't forget to subscribe if you're on youtube do hit subscribe that makes a huge difference to me and also hit the like button and ask a comment i will be there tag philip he has a youtube channel too apparently and i'm sure he'll comment as well if you did enjoy the show 
then you will also love the personal brand business roadmap. It's over 50 pages of everything you will need to start, scale, or just fix your expert business. It's yours for free as a gift from me. Just go to amplifyme.agency forward slash roadmap. Thanks again for listening or watching and see you next week.